0: Welcome to diet culture dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters, My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration mindful moments and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider therapist or registered dietitian i am so happy you're here i want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope everyone's doing well. Today's guest is a person who actually inspired me to start my own podcast. Her name is Jessie Mundell and has a fabulous podcast called To Birth and Beyond, I will let her extrapolate a little bit more about that, but it generally focuses on any kind of changes around preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, and how to kind of navigate that. So if you're in that zone or that's applicable to you, you should definitely check it out. Um, I know in all of my pregnancies, I kind of turn to it. Her and Anita have lots of reassuring messaging. It's always very positive. And you guys have lots of really amazing speakers. So, I'm truly honored and delighted to have a conversation with Jesse today. So, welcome to Diet Culture Dropout, Jesse. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I am excited to share you with the listeners. I was thinking today we could talk about healing your relationship with movement. But before we get into that, I always like to ask my classic questions. So, Jesse, do you want to let listeners know a little bit more about who you are, where you're located in the world, and how you got into the work that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am close-ish to you in Kingston, Ontario, and we were chatting before we hit record, but... I've been away from Kingston for 10 years, bounced around a little bit in Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Cochrane, and then kind of at the height of the pandemic, we decided we need the grandparents. We got to get the heck out of here and put our house up for sale, moved back in summer 2020. And it's been so good, best decision. Mm -hmm. And also as these things go, just did a couple years of transitional time as well, too, like rocky roads, difficulties, but ultimately being close to the family has given us such a better quality of life. So that has been taking up a lot of space in my life the last couple of years. But what I do is primarily fitness coaching, strength training, based coaching for pregnant and postpartum people of all fitness levels and all stages through those time periods. So folks in pregnancy very, very early, all the way through till full term. And then postpartum folks recovering from vaginal cesarean birth and loss and all the way through parents whose kids are five, 10, 15 years postpartum and are just still wanting to feel like reclaimed sense of themselves in their body capability and confidence, Mm -hmm. and also who are maybe are still dealing with some pelvic health stuff, symptoms, pain that have been occurring since their pregnancy or postpartum time period and really want to get a handle on that. And again, just feel a better sense of understanding about their pelvic health. So that's kind of the bulk of what we do. And then we do education work for other fitness and health pros to teach them how to work with pregnant and postpartum people, all rooted in this non-diet way of exercise movement and relating to our bodies. Oh, I love it. Yay.
0: We need so much more of that. I'm so glad you're a champion in that space. Yes,
1: yes. And it's been so cool to work with so many fitness and health pros within our certifications over the last six plus years because it is non-diet focused. And then to see them go out into the world and their communities in person and online and be doing that work as well too has been some of the most fulfilling work of my career.
0: I bet, amazing. And because of the format of the podcast, people can't really see us, but also want to be objective in the sense of what this messaging is coming from. Can you tell listeners any identities or privileges you hold?
1: Yeah. And I think it's always so important to do this, especially when we're talking about bodies in this way, because I am a white woman, cisgender. I live in a privileged region. I have access based on my location and I'm in a straight sized body. And again, these conversations, and especially the work that we do with clients, it it always needs to be rooted from this place, because we are talking about body privilege and body size. And We have to understand the way that we show up in the world and that our bodies are perceived in the world in order to have these conversations with our clients or patients who might be showing up in the world differently or similarly to us. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But just to really have empathy and understanding about how other folks are living within their bodies as well too. So yeah, again, I think just positioning conversations around bodies from this nuanced context is always so, so key and understanding that my understanding of living in this body and how other folks are living in their bodies is limited based upon my privileges.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then... How does die culture come up for you? So do you have any personal examples more recently of how it kind of came up in your life?
1: Yeah, oh gosh. For me, it's a super long road, and it's really interesting having moved back to my hometown after growing up here, being a kid here, a teenager. Going to university and then leaving in my early 20s. And the work that I've done with my relationship to body, food, and exercise from early 20s to mid 30s is just such a massive difference, such a shift in me. And coming back to the town where I was dealing with some really intense disordered eating and disordered habits around exercise and a lot of body image struggles is just kind of a funny experience not funny haha but like funny (laughs) like I'm always reminded by things and places and people Mm -hmm. here so yeah long story short I struggled with an eating disorder from a young age eight ish was when that began for me and turned into luckily some, you know, quote unquote recovery from the eating disorder, but into a long line of disordered eating and using exercise as a tool to control my body composition for a very long time. And, you know, in a way it kind of led me into the work that I do early on within personal training and fitness coaching. And I was absolutely indoctrinated into this world of diet, culturally fitness stuff for a really long time, coaching, body composition, change, weight loss, fat loss, taking progress photos of my clients, like the whole nine yards. And so it really, we can probably jump into this more soon, but it really has obviously changed so dramatically for me and how I approach fitness, but that only came because I just got to this breaking point of needing to change how I related to my body first
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and so many people kind of are on that path or that route I think the stats like 65 75 percent of women in that age bracket 20 to 45 not to exclude the men but in that one study there was no men but yeah it's just so normalized right so you were just kind of following the the flow of traffic right
1: yeah and unfortunately perpetuating that flow through the work that I was doing in fitness yeah which super sucks
0: yeah yeah so holding holding space for you I know I started my career off very same leaps strides and bounds but we didn't know at that time so self-compassion that's hard yeah Yes. Okay. So you kind of hit the first question off. So going into fitness, your career was it still at a point where you were struggling with your eating disorder, or was that kind of like driving this desire to go into the the kinesiology fitness space? Yeah, it's a good question, and. Uh something that i've for
1: sure reflected on so i was involved in competitive gymnastics for quite a long time and got into coaching from the time i was 14 and coached gymnastics for years and have always just really been a lover of movement and strength, strength training for girls and women, like that was my world from the time I was a young kid. And so there were a lot of positives about it. However, being in that gymnastics world can be tricky at times where your body is so emphasized within that sport. Yeah. And then, of course, living in this world. <laughs> at large, living in our society where, especially in the 90s, 2000s, where we were getting really specific messaging about girls and women's bodies. So there's just a lot of messaging coming at me at that time. But ultimately, I did love movement, strength, power, like I had a real sense of that for myself to in working with coaches and that really sent me into the personal training world and from the time I was doing my undergraduate degree so 20-ish years old I kind of fell in love with strength training core and public floor exercise for pregnant and postpartum people they were doing mm. some really cool research at Queen's University when I was there doing my undergraduate degree in physical education and that really sparked my interest and I went on to do my master's degree and focused on training pregnant and postpartum people and just started to learn everything I absolutely could about what does the body really go through during pregnancy what does it need in recovery postpartum and what are the core and pelvic floor and what are all these pelvic health things like diastasis recti and pelvic organ prolapse and incontinence. So that was kind of what took me along this path of personal training and fitness coaching and the work that I did
0: initially. Awesome. That's incredible. I feel like that was so nuanced back then. I feel like the whole like pelvic research and evidence is, would you say is relatively kind of newish in the last like... I guess, like even accessing services for, you know, pre postnatal clients as well, too.
1: Yeah, it definitely has changed so much within the last five years, especially when I was doing my master's research, that was 2009, 2010. So good 10, 12 years ago at this point. And yeah, the way that we were thinking about public health and core health is just, Worlds different compared oh. to what it is that we know now. yeah, it's cool to see the shift and change of that,
0: yeah, incredible. And I'm just assuming, but much like the training I had to do to become a registered dietitian, you know, very rooted in weight-centric, fat phobic kind of um, doctrines, ideas. did you find your experience with undergrad masters or any kind of post training to be a little bit more? fuel to the fire in terms of how you initially started practicing as like a fitness coach definitely yeah it is
1: so interesting to look back at what we were learning and you know the, the early courses of personal training and fitness coaching that I took it really all is stemming from this place of you know positioning of it how do we get clients to have better quote unquote health but then of course health is rooted in how do we get a smaller body how do we maintain this body size how do we maintain the weight how do we get a more toned muscular body mm-hmm. etc so absolutely i mean the fitness industry essentially is built upon anti fatness and getting people to engage and buy your services because of this marketing and messaging that again consumes much of the fitnessy things that we see that is to again maintain your body weight drop your body weight shrink your body all of these things like that is what makes up the components of the majority of traditional marketing within the fitness spaces and I did that for so long too, for so many years. And it wasn't until I really realized what that was doing to me and then seeing what it was doing to the folks that I was working with, my clients who were paying me to perpetuate these beliefs within themselves too, that I realized I absolutely cannot continue to do this to them. And I absolutely cannot continue to do this to myself too, because when will this stop? Like, I have to get off this roller coaster for myself and teach other folks how they can get off this roller coaster too.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a bunch of little signs, would you say? Or was there any kind of overall bigger situation that kind of led you to turn to more of like a non diet? weight-inclusive way?
1: Mm -hmm. There was a couple of really key moments, and this was when we were living in Edmonton, and I was training at a personal training studio there, and I was just really realizing the amount of mental energy for myself that was going into my quote-unquote routines my health routines so Mm -hmm. what I was eating how much I was exercising these kind of orthorexia behaviors around food too like needing my food to be in these particular ways from these particular sources yeah I was telling this story recently too but where I would go grocery shopping was close to the gym that I was training at. It was in the same neighborhood. And I remember being feeling this hyper-vigilance that clients would see what I had in my cart at the grocery yes. store. What if they saw me buying chips and cookies and candy and like some of the things that I was eating? Lots mm-hmm. of things that I eat every day now. But just feeling like I had to uphold some standard of health that was not healthy, truly healthy for me at all. And Mm -hmm. then on the client side, I was really noticing that they were miserable in their bodies and they were paying a lot of money to stay miserable about Mm -hmm. their bodies. So the main reason that they were showing up again, was to also control their bodies. And we would be taking these, again, progress photos and the before and afters and their bodies weren't changing for the most part. Sometimes they were getting larger. A lot of times it was just staying the same. These were people who were coming for general fitness training, like really to just feel okay in their bodies and lives, to gain Mm -hmm. some strength, to help manage their mental and emotional health. That was the true goal. However, it was still preoccupying this space within our training and in their brains that we were, of course, trying to get a smaller body, but that wasn't happening. And so it felt like this perpetual disappointment for them. Mm -hmm. And again, it just got to this point for me where I was like, this is it. This is, all we can do in fitness this is why they are showing up that reflects poorly on me as the movement professional and just reflects poorly on the fitness industry overall like we can do so much better than this and I know our work is so much more important than this
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so it was like becoming attached to your identity and how you showed up in the world and then just seeing how distraught your clients were and just the lack of, again, progress in the shrinking of the bodies, which is so classically seen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if I was successful
1: as a coach, then they were getting a smaller body,
0: Mm -hmm. but only maybe for a temporary time. Right. And then life would happen and bodies would change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What you were doing was very radical in the sense of realizing this and then having that awareness to make some changes or so how did that kind of move along down the line? Because you're probably, I can see from a fitness standpoint, if you're not producing weight loss, if you're not shrinking bodies, you're going out of business because that's (laughs) what people are looking for. So how, how did you navigate that adversity?
1: Yeah, it's so true. And so deeply sad It really started with I think just subtle language shifts that I was making within sessions and I really at that point too started to shift into coaching trying to coach only pregnant postpartum people and parents Mm -hmm. and so I really just started to adjust my language around Okay, what are we doing here? What is the purpose and the intention of showing up to these sessions? Why do we want to be exercising through yeah. these times? Why do you want to be adding strength training and, you know, making a regular routine of strength training in your life? And so we really focused on the language of showing up to take care of yourself, to take care of your physical body absolutely and also to support you in your mental, emotional health through your life and through these transformations in your life and in your body of pregnancy, postpartum, parenting. These things are intense and they are a lot and require a lot from you. So can movement actually be a tool for us to experience your body Through these times, experience these changes in your bodies and allow those changes to come. And also feel this sense of capability within your body during these time periods, too. In the same vein, I really just stopped doing any of these photos with my clients. We're not going to take pictures of your body anymore. We're not going to talk about food in these ways that are relating to restriction it really was a hard line in the sand on some of these things that needed to just occur to make that switch swiftly. And again, a lot of it though, was just language used within session and within clients in talking about how they felt about their bodies.
0: Mm -hmm. And did you feel for yourself, there was like that little bit of cognitive dissonance where you were still kind of we call it like fence sitting or like still part of you wanting the diacultry side, but then the other part of you wanting to be more inclusive and just kind of letting go of that narrative.
1: Yeah, for sure. And because for me as the individual, the person, it took me so long to really untangle these ideas that I had about body food and exercise too. So I was really doing yeah. it, Maybe a little bit before, but simultaneously with these shifts in my coaching too.
0: Yeah, Yeah. doing your own healing at the same time. Yeah. Great. So do you feel now it's, you know, 2023 when we're airing this? Do you feel like the gym, the sport culture even is, is changing to be more inclusive? Do you see it? You work with lots of other health pros like you were mentioning. Do you think this is something that they're desiring and wanting and like championing as well too?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it has shifted a ton, again, especially within the last few years. But it is interesting because when I step outside my bubble of the folks that I work with, the people who I see on social media, when yeah. I step outside that, I realize that the majority of what is still occurring is within this traditional sense of fitness with body composition change, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That said, I think, yeah, there are so many more folks in this fitness space who are moving away from that. Mm -hmm. And again, they realized for themselves, this was not a healthy or an okay place to continue to be. So they started to make that shift for themselves too. And then
0: again, trickles down to the client work that they're doing. Great. Yeah. So positive to hear. So a big struggle that I find a lot of my clients have is, you know, having these really bad experiences, kind of like traumas, essentially, from, you know, their bad experiences with working, you know, in that dieting mentality where fitness is always paired with, with a diet, right, with food restriction, they overdid it, or they worked with a trainer who was very much like the no pain, the no gain kind of mentality. So this hurdle of them trying to be more open to like intuitive movement and like healing that relationship with movement is is really tricky and really like scary for them. So we're not only asking them to like shift their mindset and set completely different goals that aren't you know more extrinsic, more intrinsic, like internal based goals and telling them that they can have joy and fun in movement. So for those individuals in mind and again some may be pregnant, postpartum, et cetera, but for the greater kind of community of people, do you have any suggestions for these people that maybe had these bad experiences that were rooted in diet culture and like are curious, but just kind of having some blocks with starting back with movement and exercise?
1: Yeah, such a great question. And I really think that you have to enter into this place of, maybe returning or testing some movement with just knowing that it's going to be a practice and a journey and you're going to continue to need to coach yourself up probably because it's something that I still do is to coach myself up and by that I mean like really questioning why am i doing this why am i engaging in the movement Why am I wanting to be engaging in the movement? And so for me, I just continue to question myself on that because while I feel like I'm so far now removed from that diet culture place or wanting to approach exercise with this mindset of wanting to control my body, I still know that these ideas are pervasive in our culture, so I still know that I need to check in with myself to say, am I wanting to do this strength training workout because I know this is going to help me, like, <laughs> retain a strand of patience to get through till bedtime tonight, like, is that the reason, or am I feeling funky in my body, are these pants fitting tight today, and I'm feeling like some guilt, or some body shame, and feeling like, you need to do this workout, which is how I used to approach exercise. So I think that we gotta keep coming back to that place of figuring out what is the intention? Knowing that you're probably not maybe ever going to feel motivated to do the movement, to do the exercise, especially when it's not tied to body composition change. And that's okay. So knowing if you're not feeling motivated to exercise, that doesn't actually mean that you shouldn't be exercising, which can feel really uncomfortable to work with and to start exercising from this place of just feeling like, okay, I know this is actually going to help me to feel better to help my mood, to support my mental health, to help me deal with these pelvic floor symptoms that I'm experiencing right now, really figuring out what is the intention? What is the purpose? The second thing though that has to come with this is this acceptance of moderate intensity exercise in this place of quote unquote moderation, which is not a word that we generally use within coaching with our clients but you're probably familiar with the feeling of all or nothingness when it comes to exercise when it comes to eating with exercise it can show up as it has to be a 45 minute workout i have to be dripping in sweat and to be intense like i need to be jumping around and doing these like wild exercises it needs to be 5 days a week and we're going to have to burn that idea to the ground Mm-hmm. It probably <laughs> all the shitting. Mm-hmm. Like, these ideas are made up. They're not even real. It is beliefs and stories that we have been taught and have taken on. And it is more harmful than good. Mm-hmm. What a, you know, a flexible relationship to exercise looks like for me and my clients is like, One, two, maybe three days a week of doing some intentional structured movement. Again, I'm biased because I coach strength training, but like strength training. So a lot of our clients are strength training one time a week, maybe two times a week. Three Mm -hmm. would be a lot. And I'm talking like the 15, 20 minute ish range or getting half a workout in here and finishing the rest of that workout in a day or two later. Maybe they did two exercises in the morning when the baby was napping and maybe they finished three exercises like six hours later. It's just really taking this super flexible approach to what good exercise or good workouts look like. You're going to need to rebuild this idea for yourself. Because again, the ideas that you have been handed by the fitness industry are not true. They're just made up. And maybe they suit some folks in their lives, but for the majority of people, that's not going to suit your real life that you're actually living right now.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes. Yes. Ah, so good. Because yeah, people get so stuck on like what exercise should be. And if they're not, you're just kind of setting yourself up essentially for failing, right? If we kind of go back to that mindset of an hour or 45 minutes and like, we don't have time to do that. I love how that's a flexible approach, Jesse.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, when you do
1: start to build this more flexible relationship to exercise, you will find that you'll probably see some more consistency within when you are moving and how you are moving. Yeah. So my goals for myself usually are, I like to strength train two days a week because I know that that is like my minimum effective dose and how I can feel like optimal and super well in my body, my physical, mental, and emotional health. Mm-hmm. The thing is now, If I don't get those two days in a week, it's fine because I have other tools, other strategies to help me cope. I had no strategies 10 years ago that were outside of exercise. So that was like my main thing. Like I had to get that exercise in. I needed it and I really felt like I needed it. And now, I don't even feel like I need it. Like I can skip weeks, a month at a time, and I can be okay. And also, I know that exercise does help me to feel well in my body and in my life. So I make it a priority when I am able to move my body. But again, that to me feels flexible and healthy. It's desire, but it's not an absolute
0: need. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like being more attuned with your body when you are doing fitness as well and kind of pre post during, you know, after, I guess I already said post, but just like noticing the impact it is having on like all aspects, not just chiseling body. Right. So being more in tune, checking in rather than blowing through a workout, you know, even having pain or not being able to stop. Right. Cause you feel guilty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. So any other tips for how people can start into improving their relationship with movement?
1: The only other thing that I will say is that the idea of intuitive movement can feel really tricky for people because they often think like they need to be feeling that pull and that motivation to work out Mm -hmm. to then work out. And again, just going back to what we were saying about motivation not really being a thing that is necessary before you start moving your body, don't also think that intuitive movement comes from feeling motivated to do the workout or the movement, and then you do the movement. That's not quite it. It's more intuitive in the sense that we are really questioning ourselves and our motivations to exercise, continue to exercise. We're checking in with ourselves, like what is my energy actually like right now? Is it higher? Is it lower? Have I slept? Was I awoken by children seven times last night? Like what can I actually do? What will help me to feel well? But it's also knowing when do I need to pull back and when do I actually need to give myself a little push too, which I think is going to take some time and some practice if you have been, if you have been approaching movement from this place that doesn't feel healthy and well for a long time, it's just such a learning curve and a constant a constant figuring out. It's not something we're going to get in three weeks or three months. It's just going to shift and flux as you continue to shift and
0: flux. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then for people who maybe reside in larger fat, higher weight body sizes, what is your advice on ways they can navigate kind of these um, cultures around gyms or movement to help make themselves feel more comfortable and advocate for them? themselves as well yeah it's a great question
1: and tricky because the reality is that gym spaces can be really hard spaces to enter Mm -hmm. and it's why I have avoided gyms for many many years now I keep thinking that I want to go back into a gym space to work out and I just, I don't know if still like that is the right fit or I haven't found the right fit. I would just be, so A, be cautious on the gym space that you're entering. Know yourself, know if that space is going to be a place where you feel okay in your body and is going to allow you to feel like I can show up here in my body as it is, and I'm not going to feel pressure. I'm not gonna see messaging and marketing to change my body composition in any way. And then B, just do some research, do some testing around facilities that are in your local area. If that's where you want to be working out, talk to the people who work at that space, who own the gym, the trainers there, and get a vibe for what is actually happening. Because it can be really tricky in these commercial gym spaces, because many of those trainers are there to sell you on personal training type packages. And that is generally sold by way of convincing you to change your body composition. So just know that if you're going into those facilities that is largely what the messaging is going to be. So you might want to find spaces that are maybe more locally owned, maybe these smaller studio type places, even CrossFit can often be better than these commercial spaces in terms of the body messaging stuff. So yeah, do some research, see see the energy of those places and just really know yourself and what you can what kind of messaging you can safely
0: handle. Yeah, so kind of that exposure work. And I'm just thinking of like yoga spaces or more type of like group classes, even just how they advertise and market as well too. There's a lot. I know in like the yoga environment, there's a lot more people of size teaching classes and have classes tailored to, you know, larger body folks or older X range, you know, so it's more accommodating where they're providing those like adjustments and suggestions for people who are maybe not a straight size person that can't forward fold, you know, the same as someone who's maybe got a belly or rolls, right? So sometimes (sighs) they advertise that, but even just like asking those questions too, would you say is fair? Like to the, the studio owner, like, you know, you're putting your money in their hands. So it needs to be, you know, what works best for you, I think, rather than you just kind of fitting into their mold type thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And these are conversations that we have with our students who go through our certifications is really being prepared to be able to handle body conversations within class environments, because that is something that I believe that instructor, that coach needs to be adequately prepared for when someone in class is talking about their new diet how are you going to show up to that conversation in considering the health and safety (laughs) of everyone else of course
0: yeah yeah oh that's incredible I love that that's a point that you're teaching I feel like that's so so needed okay so and then I did want to plug one of your more recent episodes you did where it was making exercise adjustments for folks in larger bodies. So I feel like that maybe is a good segue to that last question. We kind of were chatting about too.
1: Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I don't know what episode number that is is. Two
0: something. 253. Yeah. I have it in my notes here. So I'll plug that at the bottom, but yeah, Jesse. So in summary, is there anything else you want to add or let listeners know about relationships with movement? Oh,
1: gosh. Well, I'll just reiterate that it's just a journey of figuring this stuff out for yourself. And what I have come to the place of now is just being so proud of myself for navigating two full-term pregnancies and cesarean birth recoveries and postpartum and my body has gone through so many changes and so many shifts in size. And now for me, the knowing and the trust is that it will continue to. So I'm no longer trying to avoid or run from the shifts and changes. I know my work is just in leaning into and allowing for the shifts and changes and That's what I hope for all of us and for your folks listening in is just allowing ourselves to have a body and bodies change. And that's it. That is our work in these bodies.
0: Yeah, they're not a stagnant, single-weighted subject. Yes, they change all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Okay, so in closing... What would you say is the single most protective action someone can take to protect themselves from diet culture?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. I think for so many of us who are on social media and consuming content, it really is just to create a bubble for yourself if that is what you're needing right now it is to filter out those diet culture messages and also just to be adding in a lot of body
0: diversity into your feed Mm -hmm. excellent and then what about people that maybe have kids or little people in their lives what's one way they can maybe shield or protect them from diet culture
1: Yeah, it's a great question, too. Oh gosh, my kids are four and seven, and these conversations are ones that we have had and been having for a long time now about just how all bodies are good bodies, and people have bodies that are lots of different ways, and that is in size, skin color, abilities. So I think if we can just keep filtering those messages through. I think that that's super important. And the second thing I like to do, because we know that conversations about bodies are going to come up with family members, with friends, whatever it might be, is to speak up in scenarios where it is important to you. If family, friend, someone says something uncomfortable or diety about bodies, about body size, speak up to them in front of your kids or if that feels a bit nervy right now follow up with your kid after especially if your kids are getting to be you know a little bit older my oldest again is seven and she is noticing and she is hearing things so sometimes I'll just follow up with her of saying like hey did you hear when that person said xyz like that was kind of strange eh what did you think about that I think that the most important thing is knowing that we're not going to shield them from all these messages coming at them about bodies, but we absolutely can be questioning with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. And where can listeners find you and learn more about the work that you do, Jesse?
1: You can find me on Instagram and all really all the social places at Jesse Mundell jessimundell.com is my site and like you're saying previously to birth and beyond podcast is where you'll find me chatting about this
0: stuff incredible well thank you so much for your time and all the work that you're doing in the community to kind of shift this whole fitness world I'm so grateful for you thank you so much hope you enjoyed listening to diet culture dropout if you like today's podcast i would love for you to leave a review share the episode with a friend or subscribe the more we can collectively break down diet culture the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies thanks for being here